All right, everybody, welcome to another very special episode of The Patrick Carr Show. All right, I got a great guest here with me. I, I consider this guy to be a friend, everyone, and I'm confident by the end of this episode, you're going to consider him somebody that you trust as well. Now, this episode is going to be geared towards two people. One, if you're a homeowner out there, state of Florida, you hear a lot about law changes, you're concerned about what they might mean to your policy, to your family, to that homestead that you got, this is going to be a great episode for you, an immense amount of information coming from Ed over here. Number two, you're a contractor. Maybe you're a door-to-door guy, and you, maybe you're new into the blue-collar industries, and you have questions about what does a policy entail? What does that mean? Um, how do I speak the language of a homeowner? This is going to be something that's going to be valuable to you. Maybe you don't deal with policy very much. You, you want to know, hey, I just want to have a basic understanding of what it means to a homeowner and what that homeowner can expect. This is going to be it. So stick around for this incredible episode. I'm going to introduce you right here to my friend Ed Sickles, the Citrus Grove Law Firm. Stick around, everybody. All right. What is going on, Ed? How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good. How are you? All right, I'm doing good, man. Now, full disclosure, man, I like you as a person. We've broken bread before, so um, I think this is going to be a great episode for people out there. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, Citrus Grove Law Firm. Now, when me and you met, you had not started the Citrus Grove Law Firm, okay? Mm. Um, at that time, we you were working first-party claims, for those of you who might not be familiar, working with homeowners who had gotten wrongfully denied on their claim or um, other property insurance matters. Um, I believe you're also doing some stuff with automobile stuff. A little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, tell me about Citrus Grove Law Firm, um, what you're doing over there, and how you're helping people, brother. So um, I started Citrus Grove Law Firm back in August. Um, I have been, like you said, doing this first-party property insurance thing for a little while. Um, so I decided to branch out on my own and continue to help people mainly homeowners. Uh, it's the bulk of my practice, remains the bulk of my practice. Um, and right now, I just try to do as much as I can for as many people as I can and uh, trying to help out the homeowners of the state and deal with all the new laws and everything. That's why I wanted to get together here with you today, man, because uh, one thing I like about you is you're able to break things down for both the homeowners, contractors, and in my opinion, do an easy way they can remember and understand so many people out there, if you're an individual, you're a homeowner, you, you get your policy, you get it in the mail, you open it up, and it's a bunch of pages, and you stick it in a drawer and go, all right, I look at it, I see deductible, I see a couple other items, looks right, okay, if I need it, I'll pull it out of the drawer. When I was doing door-to-door, Ed, that happened to me all the time. Where's your policy? Ugh. They look around in the kitchen, they find it, what does it mean? Um no one ever really inspects that thing. They just know that they have coverage. Yeah. Um, is that typically what you saw when there was a question about something or there was damage to a home? Yeah. Most homeowners have never read their policy. And realistically, your insurance policy is 50-something pages. Um, and usually it's a lot of legalese. Um, it's difficult for even attorneys to understand. I was watching the special session of the legislature recently, and one of the attorneys made a comment about saying it's difficult even for us to understand sometimes. Um, so, yeah, that that would definitely be my normal encounter as most people haven't read it. And realistically, it's it's weird. Most times when you enter into a contract with a company, and that's what an insurance policy is, it's a contract. 
you get to read the terms and conditions of that contract before you sign up. Insurance policies, no. You get, here's what coverage you'd have, here's the amounts, and then here, you're expected to have read every other item and know everything after you've already signed up. So that's kind of a, a weird thing to me. Like One of the things that I did when I was purchasing a house was one of my insurance agent gave me a couple ideas. I said, well, listen, give me the policy. I want to read the policy booklet. And he did. It's easy enough to do, but it's not something that most people would consider doing. They don't. And I think people look for sometimes, unfortunately, what can I get by with? What's the cheapest that I can get by with? And when the disaster happens, when the hurricane is coming in, people start to take a look and they freak out sometimes. Like, whoa, what is the, we're going to get into flood coverage. We're going to get into what exactly do I have, the limits that I have on a policy. And either they don't understand because they never did look, take a look at it, um, or they look at it and freak out and go, whoa, I don't have the coverage that I thought I had. Mm -hmm. The first thing I want to tell people is now is the winter time here in Florida. We don't have any big storms. I would suggest, maybe I don't know what to put, can people contact you if they have questions? Like, what am I dealing with here, Ed? Sure. Okay. Um, I, I just want to ask you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but too many times you wait until July going, okay, we have a storm that looks like it's coming in. Uh, I know, it, can you change, when can you change a policy or does it depend on it? Because I always wondered, it's a week out from a storm, let's say. Could I call up and just, I don't want to change my policy right now. So it really depends on the carrier. Okay. Um, you know, typically you can change your policy whenever you want. I do it um, every few months with my car insurance, uh, every year or so with my homeowner's insurance. I will go ahead and make some changes, up some coverages, um, move things around. But when a storm's coming in, every company is going to have their own underwriting guidelines to say, okay. okay, five days before a storm, we won't do it. I actually ran into that um, when I first moved to Florida. I didn't get renter's insurance. And there was a tropical storm hanging out off the coast, so I couldn't get renter's insurance because the storm was there. <laughs> Once mm -hmm. it went away, I could get it easily. But so that it, if there's a storm coming, I, I would be very surprised if the insurance company will let you make some changes like that before it hits. I would agree with you on that, but it's always nice to think about. So now yeah. is the time to think about it. I want to jump into this for the homeowners, and like I said, maybe some contractors or new people into the, the blue-collar industries. Let's start with this, man. First question I got, basic coverage for homeowners. Maybe you can go through the policy itself, what your advice is for what should your basic coverage uh, be considered? What should you be looking for? Yeah, sounds good. So your typical insurance policy for homeowners is going to have a couple of different coverages. Coverage A is generally going to be the main structure. Uh, it's going to be your actual residence. Coverage B is typically going to be other structures, detached garages, fences, things like that, sheds. Um, coverage C and D are kind of mixed. Sometimes they're, um, most of the time, coverage C is personal, uh, like liability. And a lot of time, coverage D is uh, what's called the, I forget the phrase, it's the displacement. You know, if you're out of your house, and you can't um, uh, alternative living expenses. That's okay. ALE is what uh -huh. it is in the policies. Um, so that's your coverage. If you're stuck out of your house because of a loss, um, they should be issuing coverage there. Um, Interesting. So now most people just think about A. Yeah. In fact, I always think I always think about that because it seems that is kind of what other laws are based after. You know, the value of you know co or Section A or coverage A. Mm -hmm. um, 
no one seems to think especially about C, the personal items that could include what's in the home. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, so um, typically, so in C, I mean liability insurance as if somebody else gets hurt on your property, okay. things like that. Um, personal property typically is going to be under A or B. Oh, um, okay. Right. You know, your home, your individual items in your house. Mm-hmm. Um, C is typically for, you know, somebody trips and falls on your property, dog bite, things like that. Um, so it's still super important coverage to have. Um, you know, you never want to be without that because God forbid something happens. This could be where someone gets in trouble that I'm thinking about C. And this is why I believe it's so important to make sure that if somebody's working on your home, they have separate coverage for mm-hmm. themselves. They need to be insured. Yeah. Um, without that, could somebody be liable for some damages that happen to an individual while they're working on a home or on that property? Theoretically, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely important if you're hiring a contractor or anybody to do work in your home to make sure that they have their own liability insurance. Yeah, absolutely. And I do encourage homeowners, if somebody is going to inspect your roof, make sure they've got something. Roof falls are more common than what you think, and mm-hmm. they end in a fatality more often than people like to think about as well. Just make sure the person, if they're on your property doing any kind of work or inspection, has got insurance. Yeah. Um, what else do I need to know? Basic coverages. You went through the types here. What else do I need to know? So my, my big thing with your coverage A, right? like I said, that's your main residence. You want to make sure most people will get coverage just enough to cover their mortgage. You know, oh, my mortgage is only 300000 Let me get a $300,000 policy. But your property might be worth 600000 at the end of the day, if you have a loss, yeah, you might pay off your mortgage, but you're not getting your property back because now it's going to cost $600,000 to build your property or replace your property, but you're only getting three hundred dollars from your insurance company. So you definitely want to make sure that your whole house is covered you know, as close to the current value of the house as you can get. Typically, your policies will increase every year because of inflation. Your, the insurance company will up your coverage limits every year. But you want to keep an eye on it. I had to call my insurance company this last year and change my coverage A because I felt that based on the housing market at the time, the coverage that I had was not sufficient Mm. for the cost of the home. Um, So that's definitely a big one in coverage A. Also in coverage A is going to be your law and ordinance coverage. Or actually, sorry, that's typically a separate coverage. Mm -hmm. Most insurance policies contain an exclusion saying, we will not cover for ordinance and law or law and ordinance are interchangeable. What law and ordinance coverage is, is brings your home back up to a, to the current building code. Mm-hmm. You know, if your house was built in 1998, it was built to the c- building codes back then. Building codes obviously change every year. So if, you know, roofs are the main one, of course. you know, the roofing requirements under the building code have changed pretty consistently. So if a roof was put on a house in 2003, and now in 2023, it needs to be changed out. There's going to be a lot of upgrades that you have to make to be com- compliant with the current building codes. The insurance companies don't have to cover that unless you have this law and ordinance coverage. Mm. So you want to have, and I always tell everybody, you should absolutely have law and ordinance coverage. You have a everybody, every carrier is a little different, but they all have different values ranging from none all the way up to 25% of your coverage A. Um, So if your coverage A is $400,000, you'd have $100,000 in law and ordinance in case you need to build the house up to current building code. Um, So I think that's a super important one to have. I have 25% on my house just in case. Uh, You know, it's just one of those things you want to make sure, again, you don't want to be stuck holding the bag at the end of the day of, hey, 
we're going to pay to replace your roof, but guess what? You're going to have to pay $5,000 to build it up to building code. Um, you know, it doesn't cost that much more. It's not, it's not like it's hundreds or thousands of dollars more a year for that extra coverage. It's probably going to be less than a hundred bucks. It's worth it. Now, at an example of this, I'm thinking about roofing would be, let's just say that 20 years ago, they were um, requiring a layer of felt underneath the tile or shingle that you have as a barrier from mm -hmm. water to reaching any kind of wood. But let's say now they require a stronger ice and water shield in Florida. Yep. That would mean that your roof would be covered, but that portion of the roof, the material and labor associated with a new ice and water shield going on there would be the responsibility of the homeowner to pay. Yeah, without the law and ordinance coverage, yes. Right. This is a big deal. When I was selling roofs, we would always ask that, especially for people who are cost conscious. You may think you're saving money by not paying that small amount every month, but then when you need that new roof, and those things could be a substantial thousands of dollars to make the upgrade, mm -hmm. um, you realize that it is a much better option, as you just said, to take that law and ordinance and pay the small amount more so you're not on the hook for the upgrades if your home was built, let's say, in 2007. And there were, I think in 2007, there were new building codes put into place. Yeah. So let's just say that was the case why I bring up that year. Don't make yourself responsible for that. That could really hurt you if you think you've got all your coverage. Mm -hmm. Can you add law and ordinance into a policy, like you said, if you're shopping around? Yeah, absolutely. You can always add it, cool. take it out. Um, the one thing I will say under Florida law, for you to not have law and ordinance coverage, the insurance company actually has to get you to sign a form. Um, so anytime you're filling out an application for a new policy, anything like that, make sure you're reading the forms that you're signing. Don't just sign away because then you might end up missing something like that. Absolutely. You know. All right. Anything, what else should we know about the policy here? I know we've gone over the types, obviously law and ordinance. Anything else we should know as we kind of look for basic coverage? So I would pay attention to your mold and water coverage as well. Um, you know, 10 years ago, mold and water was just covered under your regular coverage A and, you know, no issues. Um, over the last few years, we've seen the policy premiums skyrocket and the policy coverages go down. Uh, so you're paying more for less. So now a lot of the insurance companies will limit mold coverage to 10000 and water coverage to $10,000. And it's not just, oh, I have mold, so they'll pay out of coverage A to rip out the wall and the $10,000 only goes to the actual you know, mold remediation or removal. No, that $10,000 has to cover the rip out, the tear out of the property, the repair or remediation of the mold, and then the replacement of the damaged property. So at the end of the day, if you have you know, a whole wall that is damaged because of mold, you might end up having to pay out of your own pocket because you're going to run up to your coverage limit. Same thing with water. A lot of the insurance companies have a $10,000 limit on water. So what I did when I did my, when I redid my last policy was I upped my coverages to 20,000 each. I wanted to go up higher and my insurance company told me that's fine. We'll do higher. I think they would go up to 50, but I had to have my house tested for mold. Okay. My house is two years old. Um, so I obviously did not do that in my house, but it's something to consider. Um, I would be very concerned about that if you live in an area that has potential, uh, not so much flooding, but potential for uh, more severe storms. Yes. Um, you know, you want to pay attention to that. Typically, your water coverage 
the $10,000 is not going to apply to water that came in from your roof. If you have roof damage, you're not, that's not really where it's going to apply. Where the water damage or water coverage comes really into play is in a kitchen claim. You have a leaking pipe, you know, you catch it, whether you catch it early or you catch it, you know, a couple of days later, either way, you know, it's enough to do damage. I've, I've seen people who have had a pipe burst in their kitchen and they have to repair their entire first floor of their house because the water got underneath every carpet, underneath all the hardwood flooring, tile, whatever it may be. If you have a $10,000 water limit, you might be in deep trouble there. Um, so definitely pay attention to that. If you can get a policy that doesn't have a specific mold or, or water exclusion or limit, that's great. Uh, but you want to look at the other coverages too. You don't want to you don't want to pick one coverage at the cost of the other ones. But I think mold, mold, water, and law and ordinance coverage are three very important ones to consider. This could not be a more important topic. So I've got a couple questions here for you, Ed. Uh, the first way I look at, at flood is what happened to me: um, a washer pipe detached or a washer hose mm -hmm. detached in the middle of the night, flooded the entire house. Woke up three inches of water across the entire house. I remember thinking this is terrible. I get out of bed, feet hit the water. And I'm I've like, done that. And <laughs> it, first thing that came to my mind is like, did I wet the bed? <laughs> I was like, what? And then you realize like, oh no. Mm -hmm. um, I've looked at flood versus let's say regular coverage to be floor up or ceiling down. If it's that water's coming in from the floor and moves up, in some way, you've got flood you're dealing with. If it, in, if it comes into the home from upstairs, you know, down, from that roof down, that's going to be a different coverage. Yeah. Is that an easy, is that I, somewhat? I think that's, yeah, I think that's a pretty good way of looking at it. Um, if it, to me, in my mind, if it's coming from the ground, yeah. it's probably going to be excluded under your regular homeowner's insurance policy. Um, your policy will say, you know, we don't cover for this type of water damage or whatever. Um, or it'll just say, we don't cover flood. And then you got to figure out what flood is. Your laundry, you know, your washer, the pipe coming off and leaking everywhere, that should fall under your regular homeowners. Um, what we saw recently with Hurricane Ian and Nicole um, have been true flooding events. And a lot of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the people that have suffered didn't have flood insurance because they weren't in a, you know, specific flood zone. So it, it's... Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um, if you're in a flood zone, you definitely need to have flood coverage. Um, your mortgage company will likely require it if you live in a flood zone. But if you don't live in an, a specific flood zone per se, but you live in an area that is prone to flooding, it's a good, good idea to consider. I hear all the time the talk about FEMA and flood coverage. Can you explain to me where FEMA comes into this? Is it in respect to your limits and how they pick it up after 10,000? What does FEMA have to do with flood coverage? So I'm not as familiar with the FEMA programs, okay. um, but my, I, I know that a lot of the flood insurance coverage is backed by FEMA and backed by the federal government. That's my understanding. Um, so I know that they, you know, they do have a role in it, but I don't think everybody can get FEMA flood insurance. I think it's only specific areas or specific uh, elevations. And if you can't get it other places, would be my understanding, but I'm not totally sure on that one. Okay. Um, but I do know that after Hurricane Ian, they did open up um, a lot of help for homeowners who either um, had high deductibles, because I know they were doing some deductible assistance. I think the state, the state of Florida was as well. 
Um, so I do know that there are grant programs out there to help people who have suffered from you know these massive storms that we've been having. Um, so it's definitely something good to look into if you did have a loss. What about the secondary market here for flood insurance? So if I am somebody that I, you were to call that insurance company, they go, that's what we have is a $10,000. Or let's say they did offer 50000 but you still, you're, in, you're right by a lake. You're like, mm -hmm. I want more coverage for my home just in case I get that hurricane, just in case something happens. And is there a secondary market of insurance where you can go and you can buy flood coverage specifically for your home? Is that possible? Have you seen that? Yeah. So what you were describing right there with having, you know, $20,000, $50,000, but living next to a lake, if that lake came up, that twenty dollars or $50,000 doesn't matter. Okay. Your homeowner's insurance is never going to pay for anything, water that comes up out of that lake like that. You're going to need separate flood insurance to get any coverage. So there is a secondary flood insurance market. Um, you just have to find an agent who will help you find the flood insurance that you need. And again, you want to make sure that you have enough coverage because flood in, the flood insurance coverage isn't going to be limited to 10, 20, 50, anything like that. It's you're going to need coverage to replace your house if you have to. Um, you know, we saw it up in in the Panhandle with the hurricanes. Uh, we've seen it with Hurricane Ian. Um, you know, the massive amount of flooding in places that didn't have it before either. I have also um, a couple of years ago. In, it was 2021 when they were having the uh, July special session when they passed uh, Senate Bill 76. Yeah. So I went up there, I went to Tallahassee to speak against the bill. And there was a, a homeowner there who was with the Florida Justice Association who brought up that she lived, I think, in Mexico Beach. Oh, Lord. Um, and she evacuated. When she came home, she had no house was gone. And so she makes her home, her homeowner's insurance claim. And I believe she had separate wind and, and, uh, wind and hail coverage because she was on the beach. So you may need a separate coverage there. And she had flood insurance. Well, her homeowner's insurance said there's no evidence of wind damage and they put it all on the flood. Oh, Lord. I mean, they were hit by a, a category five hurricane. <laughs> so <laughs> you still run into similar issues. Yep. But it's still important to have that coverage. I saw some people down there with Ian that were filing a hurricane claim, and then they were told that no, it's not a hurricane claim. We're gonna we're filing this under wind-driven rain, and the, when you mean hurricane, I mean <laughs> what is what is a hurricane if not wind-driven rain? Yeah, um, no, this isn't gonna fall under the, the hurricane policy. It's wind-driven rain. I'm like, oh my lord, the, the, we're just coming up with terms as we go here. Yeah. Um, all right, so I understand a lot more now. Flood coverage, mold coverage, my warning or advice to homeowners is you're never going to know how much this stuff costs until it's too late. Just to dry out a 2,500-square-foot home, you're going to go to that $10,000 real quick, not to mention re the drywall, the cabinets, all the stuff you're going to have to do to re restore that house. Get in, you, This is such an important one, Ed, for people to watch. I've never seen people in more despair thinking they're, they're fine, than to see, whoa, what do you mean it's separate? Mm -hmm. What do you mean that's not going to be covered? That's I thought that's what I was paying for, and they make that mistake. Um, I want to talk about this because you're the perfect guy to talk to about it. Everybody, all the commercials I see, what is it, Geico, that's always talking about bundling your insurance. Mm -hmm. um, homeowners, homeowner, or homeowners and auto insurance together, you can save money. My two-part question here, are there any disadvantages to, to bundling together 
Um, and maybe the second part of that is, should homeowners be looking for that type of policy? What do we really need to know about bundling? So, I mean, bundling is perfectly fine if you want to work with the same company. There's no issues with it at all. Yeah, you're probably going to get a discount for having homeowners and uh, auto with the same company. But a lot of times, companies will offer discounts anyway if you're a homeowner, whether you're with the same company or not. So you just, in my mind, you need to look around. If you're, If you can find the same coverage for cheaper with someone else, well, don't, you know, don't feel, oh, I have to stick with this carrier because that's who my homeowners is with. I do think a disadvantage comes into play when you have a claim. Um, if you have, say you have a, a car claim um, one year and then the next year you have a homeowner's claim, now you're starting to the point where you're having too many claims with the same insurance company and they're gonna start looking at you as a risk and they may drop you, they may non-renew you, uh, you know, just because they can say, well, you've had, you know, these claim, two claims in two years, like you, you, we don't feel comfortable insuring this risk anymore. So that is a potential disadvantage. Um, I can tell you, I do not have that. Um, I have separate, I have a, a Florida-based homeowners insurance company and I have a national car insurance company. Um, and no particular reason for that other than um, I wanted some additional coverages on top of everything I already had, and it made more sense to do it the way I did it. Um, it's actually saved me a little bit money for better coverage than what I was paying with my prior car insurance. Got it. All right, everyone, we're going to be right back to that podcast, but I want to tell you a story. About a year ago, I was told about this stuff they sprayed on roofs and actually brought the roof back to life. When the person told me this, I said, what a gimmick. This has got to be something where they're just a snake oil salesman. There is zero way you're going to spray some pesticide on a roof and it's going to give it any more life. This absolutely is a gimmick. Fast forward to today. I could not have been more wrong. And I don't know that because I don't know. I've had someone tell me more and more about how it was good. No, my friends at Ugly Roof allowed me to go out and see it firsthand. Show me a roof before and after it was treated. And I was there to see both. The product is not a gimmick and more roofing contractors need to be offering this in the repertoire. Repair and replace has been the options for forever, right? But now there is an opportunity to rejuvenate and you need to do that with my friends at Ugly Roof. Don't worry about having to take on a new product. They come out to your business, train you and your people how to sell and use the product then they white glove that thing so you are offering it yourself on your website, social media, and to all of your potential customers. This means you become the authority in roof rejuvenation in your area. Ty, John, and their entire crew do things the right way. So listen, don't fall behind on roof rejuvenation contractors. It is here to stay. And in the years to come, I promise you, people, homeowners are going to be looking for a cost-effective solution as perhaps inflation continues to rise and they have less money in their pocket. Don't get passed up by somebody in your area who takes advantage of this new service and makes it happen. Be the roof rejuvenation resource for your customers. Call or visit uglyroof.com. Speak with the guys over there and start rejuvenating roofs in your area and putting more money in your pocket. And now back to the podcast and the Patrick Carr Show. I'm going to ask you a question I think you're not going to be able to answer me. Is there a, is there a, a company you can you I can't really say recommend, but like Farm Bureau, um, like I look at Farm Bureau and I've never heard of a big case against Farm Bureau. Mm -hmm. 
I, I thought them to be a pretty darn good insurance company. Maybe because I have them. Um, maybe I'm biased. I don't know. But I, I, you know, when I was doing collections and I was doing all, I never really saw that. But I also, I saw some that were in the middle of the thick of things all the time. There was always disagreements, always lawsuits. And I haven't known that. Is it because some of them are just so large that it's just a matter of numbers that they're going to have more lawsuits. They're going to have more people that disagree with their assessments. Or do you find, maybe you don't have to speak directly with the company, or do you find that out-of-state companies who insure in Florida or in-state companies that insure in Florida, have you found a difference in your years of litigating and how they do business and how they maybe even communicate in, and I don't want to say pay claims, but how they um, handle, for lack of how they handle their claims? Have you seen a difference? Yeah, I mean, sometimes there is. I, I would say... I, I think you're right in saying that the larger companies are going to face more lawsuits. They're obviously going to insure more people. Um, and it also depends on where they're insuring. Uh, certain insurance companies, and I forget who it is, but there's one in Florida that I know of for sure that doesn't, in, doesn't write at the coast. So their premiums are going to be a little bit lower because they don't carry that huge risk of the coastal communities. Um, obviously, if you carry that big risk of the coastal communities and then you have a hurricane Ian you know, situation, those insurance companies are, are in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. Um, there are certainly insurance companies that are better than others. Um, you know, there are certain ones that are easier to work with, but what I've found is a majority of the adjusters want to do the right thing. They okay. do care. Um, they care about the homeowners. It's not the individual adjusters. They're not the problems. The problem it becomes when they, you get into things like company guidelines that are the insurance companies will say, oh, it's, we're, we don't have to give that to you. We don't have to tell you what it is. It's proprietary. Well, then how uh, me as the other party of that contract, then I don't know all the terms of my contract. That's if you're if you're mind numbing. Yeah. If your claims management practices or whatever your guidelines are hidden, then how is a homeowner, you know, how do they have equal knowledge in the contract? They don't because they don't know all the terms apparently. Mm -hmm. So there are definitely insurance companies that will play that game. But I would say majority of the adjusters, they want to do the right thing. They want to help people as much as they can. And if they think the wrong thing is going on, some of them will say it. Yeah. Um, they'll never admit it, you know, to their superiors, obviously. Um, but I've heard quite a few people tell me, Hey, this, uh, you know, the, the field inspector has said that there was a ton of damage up there, but the carrier wouldn't approve it. I, I hear that. And it's unfortunate, but it definitely is, is a thing. So yeah. when you're, I would say when you're a homeowner, when you're dealing with that individual adjuster, a lot of times they're just as frustrated as you are. Um, so, you know, try not to make their lives any more difficult than you have to. You may have to pester them a little bit, but just remember, you know, they're trying to do their job. You want your coverage. I get it. But it's usually not that adjuster. It's usually coming from higher up. Yes. And I think it's important to know that adjuster is oftentimes not making the decision on the coverage for your home. Mm -hmm. That guy is out there. Usually they're not malicious here. They don't have any ill will against anybody that is just trying to get their home put back together. They're trying to document it and send it to somebody to make a coverage decision. 
But I do understand that homeowner who's waited three weeks after a storm finally has the opportunity to talk to somebody about what they've been dealing with the last three weeks. You know, if that guy's on his 25th inspection, you know, um, he's gone home to home to home. He's been bitching all day long. And now you're finally giving the guy – it can be tough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It really can. Um, And I've been on both sides of that. Mm -hmm. I've been the roofer out there talking to the adjuster. And then I realized – I remember one time in particular after – uh, what was it, 2017 down in Naples? It was, oh gosh. Was that Ir- Irma? Irma. I remember, like, you could, I remember I was about halfway through giving this guy, like, where have you been? My homeowner, like, I'm advocating for the homeowner. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, like, stop. It's my 19th home I've been at today. Like, enough. And I thought to myself, I'm like, You're, he's right, Pat. What are you doing, man? This guy's just doing a job. Um, that I kind of learned my lesson there mm-hmm. through experience. Um, speaking of that, now, we hear all the time insurance companies and contractors, each of them throw in grenades back and forth at each other regarding one word, fraudulent or fraud, um, fraudulent claims, they're committing fraud. You hear this all the time. Contractor blames them, they blame contractor. And what's the deal with fraud? Is it happening in the state? Can anything be done about it? What do the homeowner need to know? You know, it's. I will say there are bad actors in every business every profession. Um, but we have heard consistently for at least the last four or five years, really, about contractor fraud. First, it was the AOB. Then it was the direction to pay. Now, then it was the attorney's fees. And you know, so all we hear from the state legislature is fraud, fraud, fraud. It's really not as prevalent as you would think. Um, you know, and I think you and I talked about this recently, but with the special session in the spring, um, I had an opportunity to discuss the issues with uh, one of the state senators, and that's all they kept saying was fraud, fraud. And even there's, there's, you really don't see it. We don't see cases getting dismissed all the time for fraud. We don't hear about it. When you do hear about it, obviously, it's bad. There was one recently that I just saw in Florida where it was an unlicensed contractor showed up, they took a bunch of money and they left and never did the job. So it's important to make sure that you're working with a licensed company, you know, a, a proper business. So there are things that you can do as a homeowner to protect yourself. Um, we also heard about all the AOBs. Oh, AOBs are all fraud. It's just not happening. The insurance companies, if they truly believe that a case is fraud, what they can do when we file a lawsuit, because they're going to if they think it's fraud, they're going to keep denying it. When we have to file a lawsuit, they can file what's called a motion for fraud on the court. And they can basically say, hey, judge, here's all this evidence we have to show that this is fraud. And then it's up to the judge to say, yeah, I think this party, you know, the plaintiff or whoever is committing fraud on the court, and they can dismiss the case with prejudice, meaning you can't refile it. We just don't see that that often. Um, In the Years that I have been doing this, I have never had a, one of those motions filed no. against me. Um, I've never seen one of those motions filed. It's now, you know, obviously you got to, you know, as an attorney, we have an obligation to review every file as it comes in the door. I can't just take everything. You know, I have an op- I have an obligation to look at it and make sure it's a valid case and something that I can get behind. Um, but it, it's just. The allegations constantly of fraud do nothing to help homeowners. They do nothing to move the business along. Um, and it's really just entrenches everybody more. 
Yeah. Everybody starts digging in. The insurance companies are going to say, oh, it's all fraud. The contractors are going to say the insurance companies are committing fraud. It, it gets to a point where it's unworkable. And unfortunately, at the end of the day, the one that suffers in that situation is the homeowner. So I, as a homeowner, just, you know, be, do your research. Dig into the insurance company that you have. Um, if you do have a contractor, you know, like I said, make sure that they're licensed. Unlicensed contractors, when, when you hear about fraud, a lot of the times that's what it is. I was a prosecutor for several years. Um, and a lot of, we had a lot of cases with unlicensed contracting. It's a criminal offense. Yep. Um, so it, it happened quite a bit. And unfortunately, what you see in the criminal world is, you know, the judge will order $10,000 in restitution, you know, whatever it is, whatever the homeowner paid to the contractor. Well, they don't have it. It's gone. So these homeowners never get the money back. Um, you know, so that, that to me is one of the biggest things. I got, I got to say this about this. I don't know if you've heard of this company, Directory with Two Eyes, all right? Mm-hmm. So this company was – I'm not paid by them at all. Nobody, I just know this company does things the right way. They got tired. The guy did. His name's Dimitri, okay, Lipinski. He got tired of what Angie's List was doing to people. You know, basically what Angie's List was doing is like, here, find a contractor here. We'll be there for you the whole way. Then the contractor skips town with the money, like you said. Angie's List ain't doing nothing mm-hmm. for you. So this guy, who's uh, probably the most influential guy there is in roofing, okay, biggest YouTube channel, he decides, he's like, hold up now. This ain't doing crap. Angie's List has opened its own roofing company on top of that. You know, passing leads onto them, also while taking the money from contractors, mm-hmm. and then they're not backing up their claims. So I don't know, probably about a year and a half, two years ago, it became live. He took his good group of contractors and said, if you want to become part of directory, homeowners can go onto my site. They have web pages built for the contractor. And then if that contractor doesn't do what they're supposed to do, he pays it out of his own money, um, up to $20,000. And so I have to admit, so I just like, yeah, right, bro. You're just going to, you know, you're going to try to weigh work around. There's going to be a clause. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can think of three times right now, maybe the past six months, where he's gone online and said, this person didn't do what they said they were going to do. They're no longer in here. And I'm paying out 20 grand to these people because they messed wow. up the roof. And so he's paying that out and saying, okay, hey, listen, yeah. we're doing what we say around here in directory. Yeah, that and I'm makes like, sense. Better, that's, that's what Angie's List used to be when An- old Angie was running it type mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I really like this because it's absolutely backed by a guarantee for the homeowner. If they find the contractor through directory with two eyes, everybody, I'll put it across the bottom here. Hoff will take care of directory with two eyes on the end. It's in basically, I think every state now, multiple kinds, not just roofers, you, you know, other, other restoration companies as well. You can know that, Hey, listen, if something goes wrong and they don't do their job, you provide documentation to their team. They'll make the contractor do it right. Or they'll pay you for it. That's that's awesome. I, I was, yeah, I was like, okay, I get this, you know. Yeah. And he he actually vets the people too himself. He knows the industry. So listen, if you're tired of Angie's List, you want somebody you they skip town, you're worried. Big restoration project. I would suggest Directory. And again, I'm not paid for that. There's no affiliation whatsoever. I just you know I appreciate a company stepping up and doing things they're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, I got to move back to one more policy question, and then we're gonna, I want to go to some more attorney-type stuff and maybe, you know, uh, just some more general questions there. Everybody talks about deductibles, all right? Deductibles, we know it for the car and auto. Deductibles, you're going to have to pay for your home. Deductibles for hurricane versus regular coverage. 
Talk to me about deductibles. Do I have to pay them? Can I work them where I pay them at a different time? What do I need to know deductible-wise? So deductibles are an agreement that you've made with your insurance company that basically says your insurance company will cover everything after that deductible. Um, so when a homeowner has a claim and the claim gets approved, the insurance company will send them a letter saying, you know, we agree your roof costs $20,000 to replace. This is your recoverable depreciation you get when you complete the job. Here's $1,000 off because of your deductible. And we're going to give you a check of, you know, well, let's just say the check's 20 grand and then the roof's 20 grand and they take the deductible off. So you get a check for 19. A lot of people will say, well, I've already paid my deductible. The insurance company took it out. Well, it's not really the way it works. It's kind of like going to a doctor's office. You go to a doctor's office, your insurance pays the amount, pays a, a chunk up to your copayment. You then co pay your copayment to the doctor. Okay. A deductible is the same thing. Your insurance company will cover everything, but you have to put in your copayment. And your copayment gets paid to the contractor who's doing your work. So at the end of the day, they're the ones collecting the money. And yes, you do have to pay it. It's required. You agree to it under, you know, in the contract. And going move combining this with the fraud question from before, a lot of times what you see what is called insurance fraud is contractors waiving deductibles. 100% agree with you. And under Florida law, that falls under the insurance fraud statute. Um, we just saw that recently. I think uh, was it over the summer and the spring, there was um, two guys down in Fort Myers area. I've heard who, about this. Yeah. I, I was there down there during, during the Sanibel's thing that I was doing. I remember this. Yeah. I'm not sure what the reasons were, but I did hear about them. They were going around and they were finding these people. Yeah, they, and the, there was two guys in particular that um, got charged with, I believe, third-degree felony fraud mm -hmm. um, for waiving deductibles. Yep. You know, so as a homeowner, as a contractor, don't risk it. Pay the pay the thousand dollars. Pay the deductible as a contractor. Make sure you collect the deductible. Um, you know, it's not worth the risk. As far as deductible amounts, they vary. Uh, so you can do, most insurance companies will offer for what's called an all other perils. So typically you're going to have two deductibles, sometimes three, um, but your basic policy is going to have your hurricane deductible and then your all other perils. So hurricane, most policies say, and this is a weird one because people get, it throws you off. If say you live in Pensacola. And there's a hurricane coming and it's going to hit Key West. Well, if you have a regular storm that comes through and damages your house, but Key West is under a hurricane watch, you have to pay your hurricane deductible. You live in Pensacola. You're nowhere near it. Most insurance policies <clears throat> say the hurricane deductible is applicable when there is any hurricane watch or warning in the entire state. So, oh my Lord. yeah. I didn't and realize I have, this, Dad. Nope, most people don't. And I have run into it. I have run into it several times where I had homeowners who made claims. They lived on the East Coast and they made claims, but at the same time there was a hurricane hanging out in the Gulf and there was a you know watch or whatever on the West Coast. And these people on the East Coast, no effects from the hurricane. Like totally separate issue. Hurricane deductible. And I always thought it was, let's just say the hurricane starts in Tampa, moves east along the state. So it goes to Orlando and reaches, let's say, Melbourne. All right. Mm -hmm. My thought was great. Everything that the hurricane winds would touch 
that would be the hurricane coverage. But, but let's say by the time that Category 1 makes it over to the East Coast, it's a tropical depression. I would have thought that that would be all perils at that time. But you're telling me that is a that's – because everything's under hurricane watch in Florida yeah. during that time. You could be liable for your hurricane deductible. Amazing information. It's so good for people yeah, to know. Ed. you got to look at the policy. Your policy Love will that. tell you what it is. Um, but, yeah, most of the policies that I've read, that is what they say. Um, so it's unfortunate, but it is – you just got to look at the policy. Um, hurricane deductibles, though, the amounts definitely vary. Um, you can do typically 500 a 1000 um, and then you get into like one – sometimes 2500 and then you can get into a 1% or a 2%. Um, so what those are, the 1%, the 2% is based on your coverage A. So if you have $300,000 in coverage A and you have a 2% hurricane deductible, your deductible is going to be $6,000 for a hurricane. If you have a 1%, it's going to be 3000 What I always tell people, and then all other perils is a similar. You have similar step process, um, but obviously it applies to everything else. So what I tell people and what I did myself was I looked at, okay, I have a 2% deductible right now. If we get hit with a hurricane, I have to come out of pocket all these thousands and thousands of dollars that I know I don't have. So I looked at my policy and it was like an extra 100, 200 bucks a year for me to change my hurricane deductible from a uh, 2% down to a 1%. So by doing that, if I had a loss, I've cut my deductible in half. And long-term, you know, say it costs you $100 more a year. So that $3,000 difference between a $3,000 deductible and a $6,000 deductible, it would take you 30 years of having that insurance policy to realize the savings. So it it doesn't make financial sense to me to do that. Everybody hopes they don't have a loss and everybody wants to get the cheapest insurance, but in the long run, what's cheapest may not be what's cheapest. Um, You know, so that's, that was the, what I looked at when I evaluated my homeowner's insurance when it was up for renewal was, okay, it's going to... I'm going to pay a little extra now, but at the end of the day, you know, it's going to save me money should I have a loss. So I think that's something that homeowners need to look at. Everybody needs to look at. Does it make financial sense for you? Bringing the knowledge right there. I'll tell you what, because I did not realize that about the hurricane deductibles, but also that information, how you can lower that hurricane deductible for yourself. People need to look at their policy. Don't stick it in the drawer Mm -hmm. and not look at this. Because it's going to be too late when that storm is three days away and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have six, seven thousand dollars in the bank, or I don't have three thousand in the bank. So many people are living paycheck to paycheck, but you would be able to make another hundred dollars a month to ensure that that weight or you have to take out a high interest loan in order to pay that deductible on your home. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be stuck in that situation when you're worried about everything else. No, because your your insurance policy is a you know, you're paying over the year. So if it's a hundred dollars more a year, it's you know less than ten bucks more a month. Think about it that way. Whereas, like you said, if you have a loss and you have to take out a, a loan or go on a payment program to pay that deductible off, you're going to be paying probably monthly. So and you're going to be paying a lot more than ten bucks a month. So you know you got to look at it that way. And I got a question. This might be I don't know if this is something you've ever seen. And forgive me, I know we haven't talked about this previously, but I'll put you on the spot here. Let's say I do run into that that scenario. I'm a homeowner, and I've been. I thought I had coverage. I didn't pay attention and listen to Patrick and Ed. I just left the policy, and now I'm in a situation where I don't have three thousand. I can come up with three. I can't come up with the other three right now. 
I got a contractor comes out to me and says, "You owe me the, you know, you owe me money, the deductible, what, or your insurance company owes it." Can you? Uh, bad. Let me rephrase. You've got that. Okay, let's say this. You're able to pay the deductible, but you don't have money left over for that contractor. You're going to owe the contractor money. Mm-hmm. You don't have it. You just don't have that money. Can you finance a deductible um, to where – because I see contractors. I've even seen collection companies. I used to work for one where they would finance the deductible um, where, hey, listen, contractor, I don't have 3000 but I'll pay you uh, – or let's just say 2000 and I'll pay you 100 bucks a month mm-hmm. for a while. Well, have you seen it where insurance companies will take the loan that you have now um, and that you're paying it back to the contractor as proof of payment? Or is this something that is frowned upon or questionable or gray area? So I'm not – I haven't looked at this issue too, too much. Okay. Um, but I know that there are contractors out there who use financing companies to cover deductibles, things like that. I think that using a finance company is fine because the the finance company is paying the money to the contractor right there. So the contractor has a, a thing that they can send to the insurance company and says, hey, this deductible has been paid. And then the insurance company may ask for the homeowner's agreement with that financing company, whatever it is. So I think that that is probably the safest route to go okay, would be yeah. to use a separate company. Um, if you're doing it in-house... I don't know for sure, but just off my gut, probably wouldn't be something that I would do. Got it. Yeah, I agree with you using that third-party finance company. There's plenty of them out there. And in fact, many contractors will recommend a third-party company to you. Fine. That's not bad. Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to work with that third-party company or they, they can walk you through the process of how that loan application would work. They're usually just one page. You know, they're looking at your credit. They're pulling it and deciding they're going to give you a couple thousand bucks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I know people, especially following hurricanes, can run into this problem. Cash, money, or short, and uh, you might need some other options. So yep. you can talk to your contractor about that one. Um, I want to do some more general questions here outside of policy for people here, okay? Um, questions that they normally don't think of, and this is the first one I want to talk about here. Um, it seems as though you and the people like you, Ed, your attorneys, have been a little bit demonized lately here in the state of Florida as being the problem, everybody's problem. You pesky attorneys. Yeah. You darn greedy people. <laughs> um, but it might tell someone or it might give someone the, the I don't know what you call it, not faults, but um, it, might, it might steer them away from hiring an attorney. Yeah. Thinking that, okay, I've heard bad things or there's a bad image in my mind from our state legislators. Everybody is so sue happy. I don't want to. Yeah. And I want to ask you that. Um, when or should an individual who is running into an, an insurance claim, either automobile, which I know you're familiar with, or property insurance, should they start with hiring an attorney? When do you suggest that person start thinking Ed Sickles in their mind? So it's really a, a personal choice. Um, and I think every attorney is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I am of, I lean more towards, I would rather have the homeowner make the claim initially, whether they're working with a contractor or not. Um, just because, and really this hurts me, is I don't want to take their money. I, if, if I settle a case pre-suit, I have to take a percentage of that settlement to get paid. And I don't want to do that if they don't need me. Um, you know, other people will disagree with that, and that's fine. But that's just how I am. Um, you know, I've actually, I've actually walked people through the claims process, and never taken a dime. 
mm. um, because I didn't really do anything. I just said, hey, do X, Y, Z, and they took care of it. So it's really a personal choice. I would say once you have gotten to a position where either your insurance company is completely non-responsive to you or um, you've gotten a denial or an underpayment, that's when most people contact me. Um, I do have people that contact me that say, hey, I've, I haven't even opened up the claim yet. And I tell them, here's my, here's what I can offer you. Here's what I can do to help you. And they'll hire me and I'll, I've made multiple claims for homeowners. You know, it's, it's something that can be done. It just, to me, depends on the type of house. You know, a tile roof is going to be more likely to need a lawyer long run uh, because they're typically denied more often. Makes, your t- your makes tile sense. roof is going to be denied. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to prolong the process as long as possible. You have a tile roof, you're doing a claim anywhere in Florida, call Ed. You're going to need them. So might as well start building yeah, the relationship. I, if it's a tile, I'll say it. Yeah. <laughs> you if, do it, it. if it's a tile, I would say you probably want to have somebody involved pretty early. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's a string, if it's a regular shingle, you know, most homeowners can handle that. But if you're just, you don't want to deal with it, you don't want to deal with the adjuster. That's why you hire an attorney. And I will I will say this. Statistics have shown and, and research has shown that people who hire attorneys tend to get better settlements. And now that applies to automobile and homeowners. Uh, people who hire an attorney tend to get better, you know, better settlements even after paying the attorney's fees. Um, you know, it's everybody's a little bit different. Um, everybody has some different percentages. Um, my typical is if I help the homeowner, if I'm, if I'm working the claims process, uh, my fee is up to 20%. If I have to send a pre-suit notice, it goes up to 33%. But that's my decision whether or not I take the full amount. Hmm. Um, you know, so me as a small business, um, I don't have a lot of overhead. I don't have to worry about that a lot. You know, I just, I have to worry about making sure I have enough to move my business forward mm-hmm. and continue, you know, continue to grow. But other than that, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to get rich off of everybody's case. Yeah. I, I want to help as many people as I can. Um, but, and that's why like I said, that's why most of the time, if somebody just calls me and it's a regular shingle roof, like I'm going to say, listen, you probably can do it without me. Mm-hmm. Um, it hurts my wallet but at the end of the day, but it doesn't hurt my conscience. Yeah, I I consider this a no brainer. Once you get the denial or you get a you get an offer that's not even going to cover your roof, folks. Four out of five people take the denial letter, hang their head, and go, "Okay, let's go look for something else." Or they take the five thousand dollars that's offered to them, and they take that and they go, "Okay, well that's what we can get. At least it's covering twenty five percent." And they do nothing, Dad. You know, because it comes on an official form with a bunch of papers and nice letterhead and all this stuff, and they go, gosh, what do I do now? And I guess we okay, let's start looking at you know, a loan that we can take out. Do not make this mistake, folks. Do not hang your head and go, well, I got a denial. I guess that's the end of it. Uh, they are banking on that and the big insurance. They're banking on the four out of five people getting the denial and going, well, we just took their money every single month for 20 years mm-hmm. or you know, for you know, whatever it might be, every quarter, whatever your policy says, and now that we don't have to pay out anything. They sent you a denial letter. Maybe it's justified. Maybe it isn't. But I would be thinking, I deserve the best shot at this. I've paid this company thousands and thousands of dollars, been a loyal customer. Give yourself the best opportunity to get what you deserve. Don't just give up your case. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. If you have a denial or an underpayment, I would certainly recommend contacting an attorney, uh, preferably me, but <laughs> you know, contact an attorney, get, get what, you know, have somebody take another look at it, get what you should be entitled to. Um, if you've had legitimate damage, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said, don't let them take your poli- take your premiums every month or every year and then say, you know, oh, go away. You didn't, you're not getting anything. Um, I think that's a, a huge mistake that a lot of people make. Um, but is there anything you can do leading up to that your home being hurricane is the one we use down here? But if there's a storm season in the Midwest, this is good across the states here. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody. So you're watching California, Arizona, Texas. We got a lot of people in South Carolina. Um, what can you do? What kind of documentation? Walk around. I don't know what you do, Ed. You got a home and you're worried about storm damage. Maybe you're a seasonal person. You're only mm-hmm. down in the area for a season and then you go back home. What should they be doing to ensure they have the best opportunity after damage that it's covered, that it gets covered? So I and what I did in advance of Hurricane Ian. Um, so I live here in Central Florida. Uh, what I did was I brought all my lawn furniture in. It was a big one. I don't have a pool, but if you have a pool, you can toss your lawn, lawn furniture in the pool. It's going to sink to the bottom and it's not going to blow around, not going to go anywhere. I've seen that quite a bit. Love it. Um, my neighbors did that and it's really smart. Um, you should have some kind of an idea of an inventory list of you know personal property. Maybe not every item, but the big things, your jewelry, TVs, you know, couches, the, the big items that if you have to replace, it's going to cost quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you also want to make sure that you have enough food and water to cover three days. Um, and you're going you're gonna to want a gallon, at least a gallon of water per person per day. Plus, don't forget your animals. Um, you're always going to have to worry about them. Uh, what else, The other things that I did was I walked around my the outside of my house. I took photographs of the exterior to show that there was no damage. Um, I took photographs of the window screens. I took pictures of the inside of the house to document no damage. Um, I, and this is not something I recommend for everyone, but I got up on my roof um, and I went up there with a GoPro and I documented my roof to show that there was no damage just in case something happened. And then I can say, look, two days before the storm, I had no damage. So you can't say it's old. Um, you know, that's some of what you can do to prep your house. We in Florida this year, they passed a couple of uh, changes to allow for tax credits and tax write-offs for home hardening for the coast. That's a good opportunity, a good thing to take advantage of if you have the ability to, um, you know, get those, uh, they're not, not hurricane proof, but they're hurricane resistant windows, um, you know, garage doors, things like that. Just. If there is a hurricane, just make sure you're bringing everything in from inside or from outside. Sorry. If you don't want to be the neighbor who causes somebody else's damage, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you don't want it to be your fault that your picnic table flew through somebody's back window. Um, at least I don't. So that's why I would just say bring everything in. If you live in a in an area that doesn't necessarily flood but gets backups, um, you know, consider having some sandbags, things like that. Um, I'm not really in an area like that, but I still put up um, a tarp filled with some uh, bags of dirt at my back window, just in case, because my backyard does get, you know, three, four inches of standing water over a heavy rain. So things like that are good things to consider. Definitely make sure, you know, every, I would say before every hurricane season, 
double check your insurance coverage and make sure you have your emergency packs, you know, your, your food, all of that. I would do your, you don't, you don't have to wait until a storm's coming to do this inventory list and do these photos. You can just do it at the beginning of hurricane season. There are plenty of people out there who hire a roofer every hurricane season to come out and inspect the roof. Love that. Uh, you know, that's, that's a good idea. Um, you know, I got on my own roof because obviously I'm familiar enough with it that I know what I'm looking for and I'm comfortable enough being on my roof, but most people aren't. Nope. So it's definitely a good idea to have your roof inspected every year, um, you know, before hurricane season, especially here in Florida. Um, those are, that's the big recommendations. The other thing that we did, um, was we kept our, we kept a safe filled with our jewelry, um, and important documents out on our kitchen table. So that way, if we did have to leave our house for some reason, we had it and we could grab it. We didn't have to worry about looking for things to so just grab it and go. Um, so I think that's probably a good idea as well. Maybe a little overcautious, but you know, rather be prepared. You are familiar with auto insurance as well, which is why I want to ask you. I've had some questions about this. Living in a condominium, mm-hmm. um, if you don't have a garage or you, you have cars or certain on maybe the ground floor during a, during a storm, should you be documenting your vehicle as well and keeping the inventory for that in case yeah. there is? And not just, folks, not just for hurricanes. We've talked about that. Hailstorms. Um, documenting your vehicle if you expect there to be a large storm in your area, tornadoes from my Midwest folks or Arizona, Texas. Um, if you expect that, don't just document the home. Your, your car is right there. Mm-hmm. Document. Is there an advantage to that? Yeah. Yeah. When, when I was – so uh, my garage is not big enough to fit my truck. A lot of people think um, that. So – my wife's car is parked in the garage, uh, but my truck is, uh, stays out in the driveway. So when we were prepping for the hurricane, I took videos of my truck to show that there was no issues. I also moved my truck because um, made sure it wasn't underneath a tree or anything. We had a small palm tree. It wouldn't have done much if it had fallen, but rather not take the chance. Um, so, But yeah, definitely, definitely check your car too because typically if you do have vehicle damage, whether it's hail or from a hurricane, you got to make a separate claim through your car insurance. Love that advice right there. I want to talk about two things that come to my mind that I am very upset about right now in the state of Florida coming into law with old Senate Bill 2A so that people understand the gravity of what they mean to their policy. And they're going to be seeing these coming up in renewals this year. I think you're going to back me up on that, Ed. Two Mm -hmm. things. Manage repair programs, all right, and binding arbitration. These are two different things, but I think they go together because homeowners are going to see them on policies Maybe have the option to to be make them a part of their their coverage with with you know maybe a pay less if you mm-hmm. join it pay more if you don't um, and sometimes you're not going to have an option. I, I can't stress that homeowners know the importance of what these two items are: manage repair programs and binding arbitration. Can you explain, although both are different, yeah. what it means to a policy coming up for renewal that somebody might buy into without even knowing it? Mm-hmm. How does that look like it? So as you know, the the managed repair or it's also called right to repair policies, they've been around for a little while. Um, some companies take advantage of it more often than others. There's one in particular that owns a restoration company that the insurance company will say, okay, we agree your home is damaged, but guess what? It's less than your deductible. But if it is more than your deductible, our people are the ones who are going to fix it. And I've run into that several times. Well, hold and on. Then, really, that would mean this. Correct me if I'm wrong. That you sign up for a policy, your home gets damaged, and you go, gosh, I love 
Ed and Patrick's roofing. They're my guys. They always have been. Okay, I'm going to use A, Ed and Patrick, come on out. And Ed and Patrick's roofing looks and says, you can't even use us. You have to use the person that this insurance company says you have to use. Yeah. That's it's, it's just um, mind-blowing. So every, pretty much every insurance policy I've reviewed has, has had in there what's called an option to repair. So some insurance companies will use it. Most won't. Um, but with those ones, they just have their preference. They say, hey, here's you know a couple of different contractors you can choose from, whatever it may be. And But there's one in particular that they own the contractor. So you're paying your insurance company every year, and then you have a claim. Your insurance company takes the money that you've paid, and they pay it to themselves. Um, and at the end of the day, the insurance company then says, we've lost millions of dollars this year. We're, we're so hurting. We need, we need tort reform. We need less litigation. We're hurting too much. Meanwhile, the million dollars that they've lost, they've paid to themselves, just in a different company. This is not an exaggeration, folks. No, you can this go to is Google exactly what and, and look it up. You know, insurance company that owns the restoration or something like that. Yep. It'll come up in Google. It'll make your mind spin that this is a legal thing to do. It, they're taking their money and paying themselves, then charging you a higher premium. If it sounds like it's illegal, it should be. And you want to know why this show fights against the one-sided pieces of legislation that goes against the contractor, against the attorney, and against you, the homeowner. This is exactly why. Because it's highway robbery, and it is legal what they are doing to you. In fact, Ed, now it's even more legal, you could say. They're going to allow other companies to do this now on oh, yeah. the next renewals in 2023. Oh, yeah. Most companies can add it in whenever they want. Um, you know, if... If the company offers a right to repair or manage repair policy, they have to offer an actuarially sound policy reduction. Now, if that sounds vague, there's a reason. Um, you know, they're never going to say you have to offer this much less. It's just an actuarially sound reduction. So people, homeowners look at that and they say, oh, well, it's 50 bucks cheaper for me to pick this policy. But at the end of the day, you don't get to choose your contractor. You don't get to choose what work gets done. If you want to, so the one that I'm, I was referring to that owns their, their own contracting company, with them, if you disagree with their claims decision, say they say, you know, it's under your deductible, you can't sue them for it. They will, the, they sue their homeowners pretty regularly, very regularly, but you can't sue them to get the extra coverage because of the way the policy is written. What you have to do is you have to go through appraisal. Which means you, as the homeowner, have to hire an appraiser. You have to pay them out of your pocket. Then there's an umpire that could potentially get involved that may have to get paid. And the insurance company is going to hire an appraiser. And the two appraisers are going to go out and they're going to determine what the amount is. So you've now had to pay potentially thousands of dollars to someone else to tell the insurance company they're wrong. Which normally what would happen is you'd come to me. I would tell the insurance company you're wrong. I would hire and pay the person to do all that. And then I'd get my money back from the insurance company at the end of the day. Now, with that policy in particular, the homeowner has to be the one to do it because I can't do it. I'm never going to get that money back. So it it doesn't make sense. You know, I'm I'm a business. Mm -hmm. I, I can't I can't pay fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars and never get it back. Um, so, you know, as unfortunate as it, as it is, and I'd love to help the homeowners as much as I can, that's one of those situations where I'm just like, 
listen, here's some names of some people that are appraisers. This is your best bet. Um, you know, and it's unfortunate, but we do see that quite a bit. The other thing to watch for with those with those policies, whether or not it's a, a managed repair, right to repair, or the option to repair in the contract itself, is you want to watch what the contractors are doing. It may not be a bad idea to hire an inspector after they're done to make sure it was done correctly. Um, I have a case right now where homeowner had their house, re their roof replaced by the insurance company's contractor that the insurance company said, this is who you have to use. Four years later, we're suing the insurance company because she has massive leaking and mold because the roof wasn't installed correctly. So just because it's a right to repair policy doesn't mean it's going to be repaired right. I like that. But where homeowners might wonder, that where am I going to see this? It comes with reading your policy. I just, we just can't emphasize mm -hmm. this enough. You don't know what's in it right now. Take the time on a Friday evening. You're watching a show or two. Open up your policy for some really engaging reading and see if these terms pop up to you. See if, you know, you see manage repair, right to repair, and then do something about it. Um, many of you out there, the example I use, have PPO plans for your doctor. You like the determination. You can go to your doctor because you trust that doctor. You want to go to a contractor that you can trust. So make sure you've got the ability when something goes wrong with your home, just like something goes wrong with your body, that you have the opportunity to choose the contractor that you want to work yep. with. That mm -hmm. leads us into something that we're going to see here too, because you're going to see this come renewals in 2023, a lot Read more company. Your renewals. Yes. If you get a letter from your insurance company, don't just throw it out. Um, you know, Take the opportunity to read the renewal because things may change. I've seen that too. Now, Ed, sometimes, and you're going to know more about this than I do, but I believe that sometimes you just by paying your deductible to the, to the insurance company for the renewal have therefore opted into the changes they have made to your policy. You may not even be aware of what those changes are, or they may send it to you in a separate letter, small print. You're just not sure. You, you say, I never signed off on that. Well, actually you did by paying that renewal. You signed off on what was in that renewal. Read your policy yeah. and what comes when, up. When you enter, an, enter into a contract with the insurance company, when you pay your premiums, you are presumed to have read and understand all of the um, terms and conditions of the policy. Mm. So you know, when you get that renewal letter, make sure you're looking at it. You know, the insurance company, they, most of them offer plans without the managed repair, um, one with, one without. So, you know, don't just take the cheapest plan. Make sure you have the right coverage. At the now end of the day, that's the most important part. It is. And one of those coverages or one of those options that may be available, you see a couple policies, one's cheaper. You're not really sure why the other ones are more expensive. It's these managed repair programs. But then also the second part of this question was the binding arbitration. Mm -hmm. Because let's just, essence, say you do have a problem with the insurance company. Or um, you get the contract you want, but you get denied. You get all this, you know, things can happen outside of the contractor all the time. Binding arbitration, what would that force a homeowner to do if they have a problem, disagreement, they want to sue them and get what they deserve? Mm -hmm. What does binding arbitration look like? So... We've already actually been seeing binding arbitration in a policy. OIR approved one earlier this year before the law changed. OIR approved, and it has already been upheld. So I want to be clear, late in 2022. Early in 2022. 2020, before the yeah, December before special session. Yeah. Okay. So, but in, in December, the legislature, you know, passed uh, Senate Bill 2A. Uh, most of it. Most of it has gone into effect at this point. Some of it is will sporadically come into, into effect throughout the year. But 
one of the options that they allowed for is the insurance companies to include a policy uh, provision for mandatory binding arbitration. Again, they have to offer a policy without it and a policy with it, and it has to be an actuarially sound discount. No specification as far as that. During the session, multiple um, you know, members of the House, members of the Senate tried to get specification and tried to say, well, we, you know, here's an amendment that says it should be $200 less a year, whatever it is, everything was rejected. So what arbitration is, is it is a formal, essentially proceeding. Um, you're not in court. You haven't filed a lawsuit. You filed an, act- an arbitration action. You're going to have an, uh, an arbitrator appointed or hired, whatever it may be. You know, some companies do it. And that person is essentially your judge. A lot of times they are retired lawyers, retired judges. They know the law. They know the rules of evidence. Your insurance company, if you have to, if you have this mandatory binding arbitration, if you have a disagreement with your insurance company, you have to go to this arbitration. As part of it, you give up any entitlement to recover your attorney's fees. Um, you give up certain protections in court. So with the change in the attorney's fees issue, there is, there are some ways to still get attorney's fees if you have to file a lawsuit. It's a little bit more difficult, a little more convoluted, but there are still a, there is still that ability. With the arbitration, there isn't. So at the end of the day, you have to go into this formal proceeding and it's going to be, you know, you homeowner as the plaintiff and insurance company as the defendant, just like it would be in court. Your insurance company is going to hire a lawyer to represent them. And you as the homeowner, if you don't hire a lawyer, you know, you're not going to know what you're doing. It's the same thing as representing yourself in court. You, you don't do it. You don't know the rules of evidence. You don't, don't know the rules of procedure that are going to apply. So it's a, in my mind, an extreme disadvantage for the homeowner to enter into a, a binding arbitration agreement in their policy. And that was actually addressed during the special session. One of the um, House members asked, well, how, isn't this a formal proceeding? Aren't the rules of evidence going to apply? You know, how, how do we expect these homeowners to fight insurance companies and insurance lawyers who are going to know the rules of evidence? And essentially the response was, well, they can still hire an attorney if they want. Okay, but how's, how are they going to pay for the attorney? Hmm. You know, at the end of the day, if, if you have a $30,000 roof and you have to go to a mandatory binding arbitration, as an attorney, my contract at that point provides that I can take up to 40% once we're in that situation. Now, again, I don't know. It's my decision whether or not I take that amount. Sure. Um, You know, can't, I don't negotiate with clients, but it's my decision to just say, "Ah, I don't need that much. But if I have to take a case all the way through trial, arbitration, whatever it is, there are going to be so many other costs involved that it is essentially cost prohibitive for a homeowner to do it. You have to hire you know, you're going to need people to testify. It's not just, oh, judge, my roof is damaged. No, like you need testimony. You need evidence to prove your case. You actually have to prove it. So at the end of the day, you as the homeowner, if you don't know the rules of evidence, you don't know the rules of procedure, you're at a disadvantage. And it is extremely unlikely that you can be successful against an insurance company without a lawyer in a situation like that. That's my opinion on it. I think it's a, I would highly recommend people do not 
get those policies. And again, he said that one is going to be coming with the renewals. Um, I would expect most insurance companies to start offering those policies. I think it, it doesn't make sense for them not to. Um, but like I said, it has to be an actuarially sound discount. But realistically, what I expect to see more is the policy with the binding arbitration is going to be the same price that you paid last year. And the policy without it is going to be, you know, however much more expensive. So I don't think you're actually going to get a discount. I think you're just going to not get an increase yeah. um, or maybe a smaller increase, I should say. So I, I just, I think the binding arbitration absolutely hurts homeowners. Um, along with the removal of the of the recovery of attorney's fees, I think those two changes are two of the biggest hurts to the homeowners. And the arbitration is just, you're still going to have to hire a lawyer. Yeah. I, at the end of the day, you're still going to have to hire a lawyer and you're going to maybe get half of what you're entitled to. Yeah, you got to give yourself a shot though, Ed. And you're not going to have a shot when I was doing collections and I would represent the collections company in an arbitration case and the contract, let's say the contractor that had worked was there and the homeowner would be there and they'd hire an attorney and they would have a fighting chance against the billion dollar companies who are hiring their attorneys who mm -hmm. do this all the time. Um, I saw, but I saw people shoot themselves in the foot. They didn't even know it. You know, for instance, we talked earlier about, you know, wind driven rain or, you know, hail damage, which caused, you know, leaks on the entire of the home. And, you know, the person would show damage on the floor, the water. And they're not, well, it's flood. What do you got to say about that? And the person didn't have any idea what the difference yeah. was. They didn't know, and nor do you who's watching this. If you're like, I could do it on my own. You have no idea when it, what it's like when you sit in front of an attorney who walks in with their paperwork that's this high, sits it down, understands what the proceedings are going to look like. You've got a few pictures and notes, and you think that you're going to win this case. You're going to get slaughtered is what's going to happen. And what they did in the Florida legislature and other states will soon see it is they said, nope, binding arbitration, you can't take us to court. And on, oh, by the way, if you did, even if you win the case, you're still going to be responsible for those attorney fees. And what it does is it denies homeowners rights to the court system. Mm -hmm. And it, dis it disproportionately affects low income housing and people that can't take that risk. They're, it's disgusting. Um, and they know what they're doing. Um, it sounds less intimidating, binding arbitration. Okay, that's whatever. I've heard that term before. And I don't want to sue anybody anyway. I want to avoid the courts, not knowing that they're doing this because they are a for-profit company looking out for their bottom line, not the people that are paying the premiums. Mm. It's disgusting, Ed, and it's a good thing that people like you are around. I've personally seen where you've been like, listen, I'm going to help you. Um, stop worrying about, I'm gonna, we're going to do this. We're going to make it right. But attorneys can't sit there and just drop fees left and right. One, it's against Florida Bar in some mm -hmm. cases. And it's against just moral and ethics, you know. Um, and I feel bad for the customers and the, the insureds who are going to re renew this policy, not knowing what they're really getting themselves into, yeah. binding themselves to. And it's really going to come into effect when we have another big storm here. And everyone's going to wonder, what do I do about this denial? And it's really going to be, well, sure. Let's just say they don't have binding arbitration. Is this true? They could take somebody to court, win the case, and then still have to pay that attorney fifteen grand mm -hmm. on a $20,000 roof. You get nothing because you got to pay 5000 in a deductible. Well, so that, it depends. It, dep so, but it is possible yeah, is but, what I'm saying. Yeah. So realistically, um, you know, the way it works now is if I have to file a suit against a homeowner's insurance company, and 
I'll say this. The law has changed since I started doing this work. The current law has that percentage based of I have to send a pre-suit demand and then I have to recover a certain percentage of the disputed amount, which I don't disagree with. Previously, the way it worked was if I proved $1, I got my attorney's fees. At the end of the day, okay, great. That's great for me as the attorney, but I just screwed my client. Yep. They're getting a dollar. Great. Wonderful. So I actually I actually don't disagree with the change that they made to the attorney's fees a couple of years ago. I think that was really smart. Right now, well, the way it, it was until this new change was if we recovered 0 to 25% of the disputed amount of, from our demand, we did not get attorney's fees. I kind of think that's a good thing. I agree. Why are you taking the case if you're getting 10%? Yeah. Okay. You've got to do something here. Um, 25 to 50%, you would get your attorney's fees, but reduced based on that percentage. 50% to 100%, you would get your attorney's fees. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a smart way to kind of yeah. do it and make sure that people weren't filing bogus claims and you know filing bogus cases. Um, you know That's the way it was working now. With the change, once the new policies come in, with no entitlement to attorney's fees anymore, if I have to take your case and you know if it can resolve in a couple of weeks great everybody's happy but if we have to fight your case for a year if i have to take your case to trial so you have to take say you have a thirty thousand dollar roof case it happens folks and i have to take your case to trial it's going to be 18 to 24 months before we even see trial and then in the meantime i will have hired experts i will have done depositions discovery all kinds of stuff in the background my fee at that point, say we do go to trial and we get the, the full $30,000 that, that we say the roof is worth. Well, my, my fee immediately is 40% of that right off the top. And then on top of that, I can take all my costs back. That's It's separate from the fee in the contract. So like you said, at the end of the day, if we have to take, say we take a case to trial, if I'm taking 40%, it's probably going to cost me a lot more <coughs> than the remaining 60% to prep the case for trial. Now, under Florida law, a prevailing party always gets their costs back or is supposed to get their costs back. So there are ways to recover that. But if you're in the, the arbitration provision, there's not. So the you know $12,000 fee that I'm entitled to plus the $25,000 I spent in costs leaves you negative $5,000. You know, it's, it's, I, it's I, I love your correction right here, Ed, because I think it's a great place for I talk this one question about, of course, your law firm. People are going to want to get in touch with you. Um, I said trial. What I meant was arbitration. Okay. The, I said, you know, you don't recover anything if you win arbitration or mm -hmm. trial. I meant arbitration. When you bind into the arbitration and you're doing that, you could win the case and still not get any money, still be responsible for paying your attorney. And of course, you're going to, just the cost of hiring you, there's going to be money that comes off the top of mm -hmm. what you win. The What they did is they said, listen, go hire your attorney if you want, but then you're not going to get anything anyway. Or you hire, you just bot, battle against us and you may get a couple thousand bucks. And it's it's terrible. And if you don't think that now, once they sign that, there are going to be more denials, you're absolutely crazy mm -hmm. because they're going to know that you're, your ability and your recourse against their decision is going to be so limited that you'll take what they give you and be happy with it. It's kind of like they say these days, you'll own nothing and be happy. You'll get nothing and like what you get. Um, and I continue to say, and we'll say it over and over again for listeners, you've heard me say it, 
I can't believe mortgage companies are standing for this. Um, because in essence, what will happen following the storm, think about it, folks, people don't have a lot of money. They're using that money to put their life back together. Now they need that money, the little they're going to be offered and insurance companies know they can't do anything about it. Therefore, people will take your 10 grand on a $20,000 claim. They will not put their house back together to pre-loss condition. Parts of their house will suffer and they'll say they'll get to it at a certain time, but it won't happen. Mortgage company, you are losing out because mortgage company, that home that you own per se, or have a loan out on, they're not putting that home back together like it should. Mm -hmm. Later, that could be big dividends that they pay. It could be absolutely terrible. Um, and this is what's going to happen following another big storm in the state. Homeowners will pay the price, mortgage companies will lose, and the only one that's going to win is big insurance who knows that they can pay out little and still taking the same premiums that are going to go up year after year. It's yep. terrible. Well, and, and to that point about the mortgage companies, I, I've actually had a similar thought was most federally backed mortgage, Fannie Mae um, and Mac, they, they require replacement cost coverage on your policy. So there's two different types of coverage, replacement cost versus actual cash value. Actual cash value is the amount your property is worth today. Mm -hmm. So if I bought my, you know, if I bought my couch two years ago for $5,000 and it's only got a four four year life expectancy, well, the insurance company is only gonna give me like 2,500 for it. Replacement cost means they're gonna pay for me to get a new couch. Um, so that's the big difference there, but most most mortgage policies or most mortgage companies require you to have a replacement cost policy. So what we've also seen aside from the arbitration issue is there is one company out there who has started using a roof replacement schedule where they say, if your roof is, you know, 20 years old, we're only going to pay you 25% of its value. That's the most we're ever going to pay you. So you have that replacement cost policy. You're paying for a replacement cost policy, but your insurance company is giving you an actual cash value payment and not giving you anything more. So to me, that's actually, I think, more where the issue with the mortgage company comes into play is the issue as far as the the roof replacement schedule. Because that's not a replacement cost policy at it's that an point. ACV policy. Yeah. So you know, your roof costs twenty thousand dollars, your insurance company is gonna pay you five. You gotta come up with the other fifteen. And like you said, at the end of the day, the mortgage companies are gonna be the ones that suffer. And I'm sure you know this, but most people don't. When an, an insurance company pays you a claim, pays out your claim, they will typically put your mortgage company on the check because the mortgage company has an interest in the property. They have a lien on the property. Um, so you have to have your mortgage company sign off on the check and blah, blah, blah. And my understanding um, for the reason of that was deals more with the storms in the 90s where people would get the insurance payout and walk away. Sure. Um, you know, and their houses the banks would take back the houses and they'd be destroyed and worthless. So there is, they do try to protect the mortgage companies a little bit that way, but I absolutely think you're right that, you know, at the end of the day, the mortgage company is, is gonna be in deep trouble if a homeowner just doesn't repair the house. Well, and I'm gonna say this from working in the collections world, the, the mortgage company is not going to inspect any homes that I've seen. Yeah. So it's still a rubber stamp process in the mortgage company just to get it over to the, um, to the insured to pay. Um, it is going to be something over the next, it's not just going to be this year. Mortgage companies are going to suffer if there's a big downturn in the economy. If it's just, it's happening. We just don't see it happening so slowly in front of us right now. But people are truly after a big storm going to walk away from their homes. Now, people don't realize this, but the la Ian, 
Ian hit one of the wealthiest parts of the state of Florida. You could say one of the wealthiest parts in the country. Mm-hmm. People there had the right insurance. They have the money to not walk away from their home. Sanibel Island, one of the richest places in all the country. I mean, for crying out loud, it's where uh, – what's it, the, the old vice president? Uh, it was Trump and Pence. It's where Pence lives. So um, what I want to ask you to finish this up is this. How can someone get in touch with a Citrus Grove law firm, and what should they expect? How does it all work when they call your firm to finally kind of close us out here? So they can check out our website, uh, citrusgrovelaw.com. There is my contact information on there, my phone number, email address. Um, My email address is edward at citrusgrovelaw.com. It'll be below here. Uh, So, you know, they can reach out to me there. They can um, reach out to me through my website. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram. So there are plenty of ways to get in touch with me. Um, when somebody calls my office, they call me. Um, it rings to my cell phone. I'm the one that answers the calls. Um, and if it's a potential client, you know, I talk them through the process. Um, if it's somebody, you know, a lot of times what happens is um, the homeowner will reach out to me and, and I'll take a look at all the photos and I will pull hail reports or wind reports, whatever it may be. Um, I'll look at previous, if, if the insurance company denies it because they say, well, the damage was pre-existing or something, I'll pull up Google earth and see if I can see the damage. I've caught it a couple of times where I can, and I'm like, oh, well, okay. It can't file this case. Um, so that's part of what I do. And then I'll explain to the homeowners how I operate, um, how my fee schedule works, my fee percentages, what steps I take throughout the process. And then even after I've explained that all to them, you know, I'll do, okay, we'll send the pre-suit notice. We get the pre-suit notice back. Hey, they've denied it. Next step is to file a lawsuit. It's still their choice. You know, at the end of the day, I explain that always to them is, it's your decision. Mm-hmm. We don't have to do it. I've had homeowners that have said, I don't want to sue. Okay, that's fine. Um, you know, it's, it's your call. And I'm not going to ever push anybody into doing it if they don't want to. So I try to, try to you know, operate, care about the homeowners and be above board um, and, you know, at the end of the day, my goal is to, to help the homeowner and, uh, you know, help as many people as I can. Ed, you're one of the few great people in the industry. All right. It's a pleasure, man, to get to know you more and more over this past year. You do things the right way. This show puts our full weight behind Citrus Grove Law Firm and what you do. Um, we highly recommend if you're a homeowner, have any questions, you call up Ed. Of course, all the information will be in the comments section along with the bottom of this, um, along with the bottom of the screen that you see right now. Um, get in touch with Ed. Get in touch with your crew. I know you treat them right, brother. And all the success in the world. Let's come back and do this next year and hear about all good you're doing. Sounds good. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Till next time, the Patrick Carr Show. See you around. All right. Thanks so much for watching that video and sticking around till the end. If you like what you saw, go ahead and click subscribe. Make sure you punch that like button. And we look forward to seeing you on the next video.